King's kids. King's kids, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? You know, King's kids, come forward for just today. I need to number you so I know. Got to make sure I have enough eggs, right? Come on. If you're going to King's kids, this is a separate batch of eggs. Okay, we got. So I only need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten eggs. That'd be enough? I just put ten eggs out. We're good. Ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Come on. Come on, Aurora. Come on, Sage. So that's all I need, this many, just a couple eggs? Just one egg for per person? Is that good? More than one? Yeah. How many? How many 100, eggs? A hundred thousand million what? That's a, if you can count that high, we can maybe make it happen because, yeah, your dad will have to help there. That's big. That's big math. All right. Now, listen, if you didn't bring an Easter basket today, it's okay. We're sending you to King's Kids. We have a special lesson for you. One of the crafts is we're going to decorate a bag. This bag can hold over 25 eggs, so that's a good start. We've also got a special Easter story booklet for you to take home, so put that in your bag. It'll hold, hold your bag open wider, so when you put eggs in it, you can get more in there. And we've also got some coloring books for you to keep busy with, too. So, it's a busy day, and I am really glad you got dragged here. Thank you for coming anyways. Thank you for not throwing a fit. I appreciate that you came to church. We appreciate you very much. Ready? Yeah. We're going. Now, here's the rule. I've heard a lot of people say, no running in church. I got to confess, I run in church all week long. When I go up and down the hallways, I run. But that's because nobody's here. So the reason we don't run at church is not because you can't run at church, because I can. But it's because there are so many old people here. I don't want you to run them over and hurt them. <laughs> I'm afraid of you hurting them, okay? So we're going to walk at church for their sake. That's what I'm saying. That's why I walk on Sundays. I don't want to hurt anybody. Thanks. All right. King's kids, you are dismissed. Go have a great time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen-ish. Right this way. Ready? Follow her. There you go. Perfect. We haven't lost one yet. I just saw somebody reach into the offering plate. You're like, I'll take that. If you need it, take it. That's okay. Your mama better get a new hat from that. <coughs> That's good stuff, good stuff. So uh, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We have been going through the book of Philippians, and I planned on taking a break from Philippians, so this is kind of a compromise. We are still in Philippians today. But we're not going with the next passage. We are rewinding because over and over again this week, a passage from Philippians has been coming up on uh, Easter messages, Easter posters, Easter posts. And it is from Philippians chapter 2, showing us why we even have Easter. Why would Jesus do what he did? What is it about him that makes Easter special. So follow along in Philippians chapter 2. Roy will be reading verses 5 through 11. 5 through 11. All right. And this is for some of us older people who have gone over this but don't remember where we were at last week. <laughs> From the New American Standard Version, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you, Roy. <clears throat> Thanks, my friend. You almost took me with you. That was, we almost had a, almost had a moment. <clears throat> so if you have your bulletin, we have some notes in there, some blanks you can follow along. Uh, if you're anything like me, it helps class go by quicker. So that's what that is there for. Good distraction. See my progress. Rate me along the way. Doodle if you're a doodler. If you're a visual learner, you need to see slides. You need to write things down to help you. Uh, yeah, you think it's for you, it's for me. That's how I learn, so I'm, I'm trying to help out the people who are like me. Uh, the title today is H-O-P-E, Hope. But before we talk about hope, we need to remember what the four ingredients of the gospel are. The four ingredients of the gospel the gospel is a word that churches and Christians throw around a lot. And it does mean a lot, but we need to define our terms sometimes. We need to make things clear. To clarify the gospel, we have boiled it down to four ingredients. It's more than these four. It, it includes more than this, but to keep it simple so that we can remember it, so that we keep it on the, the front of our minds, so we can recall it at a moment's notice when we need to talk to somebody. We've boiled it down to God, man, Christ, response. Let me say a word about each of those. God. When we talk about God, we need to put God in his proper place. God needs to be understood as well, he's God. He made everything. He's holy. He's high. He's exalted. He is above all things. All things are made by his power, his hand. All things are called to, into existence by his voice. He is huge. That's what it means to be God. Don't put him in a box. Don't lower him down to your understanding of who God should be, what God should do. Well, I think God. No, 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 no. Let God tell us who he is. The first part of the gospel is understanding who God is as holy, perfect, righteous, merciful, and gracious. The second word of the gospel is man. Mankind, specifically, or humanity. God is holy Mankind is not, to keep it simple. We do not measure up. We're unholy. We are sinful, 
selfish, self-centered. And we as a people are constantly, constantly grasping for things that other people have. Sin is grasping for things you should not have right now. It's the root of all war, abuse, taking things that are not yours because, well, you're human. That's a problem. God is holy and we are not. But here's where hope comes in. Christ, God, man, Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our only hope for salvation. Who he is, what he has done, and where he is right now. Make him special. We call him Savior, Lord, King. So God, man, Christ, and here's the last word for the gospel summary. It's response. How are we supposed to respond to a God like that. Do we just have to agree with him? Yeah, I believe God. Yeah, I believe God exists. I believe the Bible's true. I believe, yeah, I believe God is holy. I believe we are not. I believe Jesus is even who he says he is. Is that enough? Is that the response? God just wants you to agree with him? Far from it. When we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, Jesus is always looking not just for a verbal response, not just your mouth, not even just your good works. He wants your whole life. He doesn't want you to agree with him. He doesn't say, all of you who are needy, agree with me. He says, follow me. That's all of you following with your feet, following with your hands, following with your mind following with your mouth, following him into every area of life. That's what he's asking for. From week to week as a church, we, we gather around God's word and we get a steady diet of who God is, the problem with humanity, the hope that is in Jesus, and how we are supposed to respond regularly. That's what we do. We call that gospel culture. And we're trying to have a culture as a church that is different from an American culture, different from a worldly culture, because a gospel culture, it's not just a formula that saves us. Pray this, sign this, go through this, you're a Christian. Eh. You can go through all the motions and miss Jesus. You can hide eggs all day long and miss Jesus. Everything in your life could be smooth, have all that you ever wanted, and you can still miss Jesus. The gospel is not about getting everything you want. It's about getting Jesus and responding appropriately. And as we just read in Philippians 2, and we're going to explore that passage a little bit more, Jesus didn't go through everything he went through for you to just brush him off or for you to just celebrate him one or two days a year. He wants everything. I'm growing fonder and fonder of saying Christianity is a life sentence that you give yourself. God doesn't lay it on you. He offers it to you, and you say, I am in. I surrender. 
I want you to be my king. And here's the irony. You think you're giving up, but he's actually setting you free. For the first time ever, you are not held by sin and death. He sets you free from yourself. He sets you free from everything that wants to condemn you. He sets you free so that for the first time, you can raise holy hands to him and say, that's my king. And you don't serve him out of fear of punishment. It's fear of disappointment. You don't want to let your daddy down. And so many of us have daddy issues, that we have a hard time understanding what it means for God to be our father. That's what this book is for. Setting the record straight. Who is this God? Why should I give him everything? Life is hard. I'm hard. I don't understand. Peace. Be still. Jesus can speak peace into your life. In fact, he invites you to question him. When we read the book of Psalms, they're not all happy. Those are people who are shaking their fists at God sometimes. What have you done? Why? That's called vertical prayer. Take your anger, your disappointment, your bitterness to God and pray until he changes you. That's a good thing. That's a Jesus thing. So here I am trying to get ready for Easter, trying to figure out why is Easter such a big deal? Why? Why was I a little child? My, my first distinct memory of Easter is burning my backside on a steel slide. Because Grandma took me to Easter, and it was like, it's Southern California, so it was like 100 degrees. And, I, you know, oh, wow, nobody's in line for the slide. This is great. I'm the visitor. I, I, now I know why there was nobody in line for the slide. They knew better. You don't get on that slide when the sun is high. And I'm like, yeah, get on that slide. (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) Fastest descent in the history of playgrounds, right? That's all I remember from Easter as a kid. Man, I didn't want to bend over and pick up no eggs. Like, send me home. You get calves. I was forever wearing polyester pants. Grandma had dressed me that day. I probably had on a little bow tie. Cute as a button, but (laughs) it was rough. It was rough, but, but even then, I, I kind of understood Easter was a big deal. I didn't understand why. I'm still un- trying to understand why. Why is it such a big deal? Why is Walmart selling so much stuff? Why is it chaos? Why, what about, what's all this candy have to do with Easter? Not much. Not much. And so I was looking for an appropriate word to describe who Jesus is to me. Uh, attractive, like, oh, why is Jesus, how is he so attractive? That, that'd be a good sermon. No, how is Jesus awesome? That's an overused word. Inspirational, that's just too much of a Christian word. Irresistible, that might trigger some doctrinally sensitive people. Why, he's inviting, that, I don't know, that, and here's the word I settled on for the next blank. How or why is Jesus so charming? That's a word that I haven't abused, or at least in my mind hasn't been overused. <laughs> charming. You might, my, my first thought is like Prince Charming, you know, like Snow White. Like he's got it all together. 
he swoops in, he's my only hope, he rescues me. Like, yeah, yeah, that's Jesus. He's the good guy. He's riding the white horse. He's going to fix everything. Like, that's the kind of Savior I need. Because, man, I am so laid out, unconscious, without hope, that I need somebody to intervene and be my charmer. I need somebody who's got it all together, who's figured it out, who knows the beginning from the end. I need that. That is why Jesus is charming to me. Personally, he's attractive to my heart, to my soul. He's inspirational. He's irresistible. And he's always inviting me into more relationship. So I've got four thoughts here on the H-O-P-E. Follow along with me. The first H from today's passage, Philippians 2, is the word humble. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7 say, Although Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself or poured himself out poured out his privileges as being the son of God, took the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of us. He did not use his divine advantage. Jesus had access to God the Father beyond any of us. And he didn't ask for any favors. He didn't ask for any passes. He lived a human life and suffered all the temptations we are going to suffer. Now, I know if you're, you know, the typical smart aleck, you'd be like, Jesus never suffered the temptation of the internet. Oh, yeah, okay. But he did suffer the temptation to be snarky and fire off a response. He did suffer sexual temptations, whether they were digital or not is irrelevant. He felt every pressure of life that you feel in this century of living, that every same temptation that you have, he's been there. He's felt it. And he felt it. He's felt it more than you ever have. The fullness of temptation. He did, did not grasp for a shortcut. He lived out life for real. He was humble. He humbled himself to step out of eternity into humanity. That is special. That's why he's charming to me. He gave all that up. To gain something new. Philippians 2.8 gives us our next word. It's obedience. Obedience. Now being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. There's the word humble. It summarizes what he did in verses 6 and 7. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death. Easter. You've got Jesus on the cross. He's being crucified. But that's not the only suffering he ever went through. It's the final bit of suffering. But this guy has been misunderstood, talked bad about, overlooked his entire life. His whole life has been suffering. You talk about being the son of God and then being born and live in the city of Nazareth, the backwaters of Israel, being a nobody in a family of nobodies, having a career with no opportunity for promotion no no big dreams he's never going to get a seaside house he's never going to be able to retire you work until you die humbled himself and became obedient to death 
obedient his whole life. His whole life. Because he knew where he was headed. He had a purpose and a plan. And if any of you saw your end of your life looking like that, you probably would have done everything in your power to run the other way. You would have been Jonah part two. Go there, bye. Go there, no. Tut, no. And Jonah knew God. How many of us say we know God and do the exact opposite of what he's calling us to do? Let me tell you what he's calling you to do. Humble yourself, pour yourself out for your family, for your friends, for your neighborhood, for everybody. Pour yourself out. No thanks. I'm going to grasp this privilege. I'm going to grasp this privilege. I'm going to use this power that I have. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. That's the problem with humanity. God is holy and we are not. So along comes Christ to show us the real way to live. This is why he's our hope. He came to serve. not be served and to give his life a ransom for many now be patient with me right here i'm changing the notes on purpose see the next blank the next line skip it h o we're skipping the p we're going down to the e in your notes, it's going to be the one next to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Got that? Have you, have you visually spotted where I'm going? I'm, I'm skipping this. If you're OCD, I'm sorry. We will come back and correct that. You're just going to have to twitch in your seat for just a second. We'll get there. So drop down to that bottom one, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, because it's the word exalted. In our passage today, we read he existed in the form of God, verse 6. He emptied himself, verse 7. Verse 8, we get humbling. That's what he did in 6 and 7. Obedient unto death, there's the O. Then 9, therefore, this is the exaltation. Because Jesus did all of that, and I mean all of it, because of every way he lived his life, God, bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those who are in heaven, who have already passed away, those on the earth, those under the earth, those who've been buried, there's going to be, God is going to have to do something supernatural to get everybody at the same time to bow their knee to Jesus anywhere. Spoiler alert. But verse 11, and at Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is going to exalt Jesus. Why? Because he never exalted himself. Jesus never made much of himself. So God did it. Jesus never exalted himself, so God will exalt him. Jesus never made a big deal about his name as the Son of God, so God's going to make a big name out of it. Jesus never demanded people to kneel down and worship him. So God is going to make people kneel down and worship him. You talk about patience. You talk about temptation. You talk about no self-exaltation. 
And so that's our passage today. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Jesus is humble, Jesus is obedient, and then Jesus is exalted. But that doesn't make a good acronym for Easter. H-O-E. Because that's what I first came up with. I'm telling you, I'm being vulnerable here. I struggle sometimes. That's just not a good Easter message, ho. <laughs> Makes you want to go out in the garden and do something. Like, no, that, that, that's not good enough. So I prayed about him. I thought about it. And I, I didn't make up a verse. But I, I read between the lines. There is something there between Jesus' obedience and being exalted. What is it that God saw was in Jesus through his whole life, humbling himself and of being obedient? And it's the word perfect. Write that down. In this passage, he skips over it. But in other places he mentioned it, it's kind of like verse 8 and 3 quarters, right? Like platform 9 and 3 quarters. It's there. You just got to know about it and step right through. It's there. It's, this truth is there. I'm telling you, it's there. Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God. He is the flawless, perfect sacrifice. How do I know? Because God accepted it. God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Because Jesus died in the place of somebody else, not for his own sins, God brought him back to life. That's how I know God approves and accepts Jesus' death in my place. That's how I know an exchange has taken place. Because God accepts it. How do I know? Because Jesus isn't dead anymore. Boom. My son. Paul himself talks about Jesus' perfection in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here are three passages you can look up later if you want to know more. And the Apostle Paul is not the only one who talks about Jesus' perfection. The Apostle Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2.22. Jesus is perfect. The writer in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 26, he also clarifies Jesus is perfect. It's part of who he is. God is holy. I am imperfect. Jesus is my only hope because he's perfect. So what does Jesus call me to do? How does he want me to respond? By clinging to his perfection and not my own. You don't go to heaven like this holding yourself you don't go to heaven like this giving god anything you go to heaven with a stranglehold on jesus because you understand very clearly you're about to enter into the presence of a holy god you are not holy and you need jesus to be between you and god you need jesus to be between you and god here's the good news he wants to be you're not forcing him you're not making him. It is his great pleasure. And when somebody you love delights in you and wants to do things for you, you know what you find in that person? You find them to be charming. No matter how they look, no matter how they smell, no matter what else has ever gone on, th their complete, utter focus on you and their care for you breaks your heart, melts you. And it makes you want them back. That's Jesus to me. I look at myself and I see, uh-oh. And I look at Jesus and I say, thank God. Amen. And God says, 
that's my son. Every knee will bow and confess that. You have an opportunity to bow and confess Jesus as your Savior now. And I don't just mean today. I mean in this life, for the rest of your life. You just take one minute watching the news, scrolling through a news feed, however you get fed your information, and you will understand this truth very fast. Write this down. Self-service is gross. When you see people serving themselves, it makes your stomach turn over. When disobedience is gross. It's offensive, especially if people are not obeying you. You obey me. No. You must hate my guts, maybe. Sinfulness in all of its forms is gross. Self-exaltation is gross. See, Jesus charms me with his humbleness, not his self-service. I want to be served. And when I look at Jesus, I see somebody who wants to serve me. He knows how to get my attention. All of us want to be served. This is why Jesus is charming. He agrees to serve you. That's what the cross is about. He is serving you. Maybe not in the way you wanted, but absolutely in the way you needed. He's charming. Disobedience is gross, but Jesus charms me with his obedience, his perfect obedience to a heavenly father. And when I see Jesus obey as a human, I could do that. He's not exercising any of his God powers when he's rebuking even the devil. He's quoting scripture and simply saying, no, I'm not going to do that. He's just determining in his heart to do the right thing and not sin. I can do that. Am I going to fail along the way? Yeah, and that same Jesus says, come, come again, confess, repent, be clean. Confess, repent, be clean. Over as many times as I need it. Well, seven times? What about 70 times seven? Jesus is like, dude, all of it, as many times as you need to come to me. He wants you to come. No matter how dark your past, no matter what you've done in the last 24 hours or 24 years, he still wants you to come. That's good news. You haven't worn him out yet. You never will wear him out. The gospel is good news. And everything else is just gross. What patience. What perfection. God is holy. Mankind is not. Jesus is our only hope. So how? How should this broken human respond to such a charming and irresistible king? How should I respond? That's the next blank. Today, Easter, of all days, talking about the cross, celebrating his resurrection, how should I respond? Well, I've already done that back when I was 16. I prayed for the Lord to save me in my sins, and then I got baptized. Done. No. <laughs> Remember life sentence? You're not done. I'm not done. He wants me to respond. He wants me to respond today. You know why I'm at church? I'm responding to God calling me to come to church. You know why I'm preaching? Because I'm responding to God telling me I have to preach. 
You know why I'm still married? Because God has called me to honor the covenant I made to him to stay married, to love her, and to sacrifice myself for her. You know why I get up every day because I'm not allowed to take my own life no matter how down and out and depressed and how messed up this world is. I have a calling on my life. Every Christian has a calling on their life. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Jesus owns you, and it's not a one-time deal. You are expected by God to respond, and not even just every day. Every second of every day, every decision, you're supposed to run it by your king. What kind of wayward, upside-down servant are you if you're doing everything you want to do? Like, that's not Christianity. We're supposed to be doing everything God wants us to do. And it's not a downer. We will find our greatest pleasure and acceptance and fulfillment in this life when we just do what he tells us to do. It's not complicated. I do not have to keep track of a lunar calendar. I don't have to worship a million different stars. I don't have to know the names of a million different deities and sacrificial systems. I don't have to know how to do this on this day, this on this day. I just need to know Jesus. You know how refreshing that is? How simple that is? I do not have many masters. Thanks to Easter. Death has no hold on me. Sin has no hold on me. No, no demons, no angels can ever tell me what to do. They got to go through Jesus. I have one king. Oh, I love that. I love the simplicity of that. It cuts through a lot of noise. Man, this world is a loud place. It's a loud place. So how should I respond? The bottom of your outline is the verse that God used to save me. It is a verse I have used to lead many, many other people to Jesus because it's so clear. It's so comprehensive. God, man, Christ, how do I respond? Well, Jesus needs to be your hope. That's what we're talking about today. He's humble. You can learn humbleness through him. He's obedient. You can become more obedient with his help. He's perfect. You're not perfect. But he invites you into his perfection. He's going to slowly transform you, your mind, your heart, your desires. The things that you struggle with, you should progressively struggle with them less and less over the course of your life. And even if you don't get it all together, you don't fix yourself, that's okay. This life is not about you arriving at perfection. It's about you finding a perfect Savior who will finish it off. He's been exalted to the highest possible place in heaven next to God himself. I want to be close to God and get close to Jesus. He's the mediator. That's what it means for him to be the mediator, the messenger of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Well, that sounds easy enough. I just need to say, Jesus is Lord. Mm, there's more. You could train your parrot to say, Jesus is Lord. Does that mean he is a Christian? No. You can train a two-year-old or a three-year-old to say, Jesus is Lord. 
without them understanding at all what that means. So this is not just about moving your mouth the right way. What does, well, what does it mean? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, here's the combo, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, from the grave. There's, that's Easter. People who celebrate Easter are basically saying, yeah, I believe that. That's, that's, why, that's why we're doing this. And we like to celebrate and, and make it a holiday by like giving away candy and doing egg hunts and taking pictures with bunny rabbits. And th- those things are not evil as long as you know what the real reason behind Easter is. That. Not just so you agree with him, confess, but that you would with your mouth confess as an outward action, reflecting what's also going on in your heart. That you really believe this book, this Bible, tells us the truth about Jesus. I believe Jesus is who this book says he is. I'm limiting who God is by what this book says about God. Well, that's so narrow-minded. Yes, very narrow-minded. Jesus has a phrase for that. Narrow is the gate and the way that leads to eternal life. And he says, he's the gate, and he's the path, and he's the good shepherd along the path. <laughs> like, he's everything I need. He's the leader I need. So on this Easter, I want to ask you, does the humbleness of Jesus attract you? And I guarantee you, you've never seen that level of humbleness in any other human being. So stop looking. Don't measure Christianity by, by faulty leaders. By parents in your life that have fallen short, that's not Jesus. They are not Jesus. Look to Jesus. His humbleness should attract you. He invites you to think like him. Does Jesus' obedience impress you? He invites you, come, follow his example. Does Jesus' perfection teach you anything? Yeah. His kindness can lead me to repentance. I can actually take steps to get closer to God. Does Jesus' exaltation motivate you? It should. You realize His praise wants to come out of your mouth. It's what you were made to do. It's in there. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and begin praising Him for the rest of your life. Every day. Is this the Jesus you believe in? Is this the Jesus you believe in? Or, better way to state that, is this the Jesus you live for? Uh, We really want to be a church that uh, doesn't just get hung up on say the right thing, do the right thing. We want to be a church that's love the right God. And let that change the way we love one another. The proper response to Jesus is to give him your life, to give him your heart, and to give him your future. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. What a wonderful thing. You can be saved any day, under any circumstances, and forgiven of any sin. Have you done that? We have many ways that we help people learn about Jesus better. 
how we lead people to salvation. Uh, if you know anybody who brought you here today, talk to them about it. If you need to see me anytime this week, you need a private moment alone, we want to meet with you. We will come to you. We want to be available. But we also understand that it, it needs to be personal. You can fill out a prayer card. They're under the seats in front of you. You can leave it in the offering plate as you go. Visitors and guests, we never expect you to give a dime. That is not your responsibility. This is not your church. If you're not a member of this church, we don't expect you to give. It's not about money. Our members give sufficiently and generously so that you can come here without paying anything. That's our community service. Happy Easter. Fill out a prayer card. Put it in the offering plate. We want you. Well, not your money. We want you. We want you to find a place where you can grow closer to Jesus. We want to commit to pursuing you, praying with you, pursuing your family, praying for your family. So many of you in here today have been prayed over deeply just that you would show up today. We care. We care. Stand with me and let's pray together. Bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare to sing a, a song. I want you to focus on yourself right now. Focus on your life. Don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about where you're going for lunch. Don't worry about how the egg hunt is going to go down. I have no plan. I'm just going to throw eggs out there. It's just going to be chaos. Don't hurt the kids and don't let them hurt you. But for just a second, take a deep breath with your eyes closed. Think about Jesus, all that he is, all that he's done. He's perfectly humble, perfectly obedient. He's perfect in every way. He's been exalted by God. God has put his stamp of approval on Jesus. Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Ask yourself this question. Am I living like he's my king? Am I living like he's in charge? Or am I afraid of many things? Am I afraid of death? Is there some sin that has a stranglehold on my heart? Is there bitterness, grumbling, complaining, just welling up within me? Jesus can help you with that, but you have to bring it to him. You need to confess that he is your Lord. You need to believe in your heart that he is who God says he is. He's your only hope this Easter. Easter celebrates Jesus as our Savior and King. Thank him in the quietness of your heart. And before I pray, with your head bowed and your eye closed, let us know if we can pray for you. I'm about to get really busy with the egg hunt. And I won't have time to talk to everybody. But if you want me to find you this week, I will. Or this day. We will help you. Let us know. Find a way. God, we bring our hearts to you right now in, in the spirit of Easter and resurrection and celebration. And we say thank you.
for sending Jesus. Thank you for crucifying him in my place. Thank you, God, for taking the most heinous, darkest moment in human history and working it out for good. We do not call it Fearful Friday, but Good Friday. And today we celebrate Jesus has all power over death. So help us to not be afraid. Help us to not live in fear. Help us to focus our eyes on you, to live for you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your Son, who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness your blood has washed away Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you.
kids who are kindergarten or under gather them up and then go all the way down our main hallway at the end of the hallway you'll make a right and that will take you to glass doors that lead to our playground area the eggs that are in the playground area are only going to have like three mini m&ms in them each so these are for the little kids if you have uh, kids who can have handle bigger candy they'll meet outside the gate we'll spread the eggs out in a minute I need two volunteers to help me. John, thanks for volunteering. John's going to help me spread out eggs. Anybody else help me spread out eggs? McKenna. All right. Eggs are on the other side of this wall. We'll get those in just a second. So gather up your kids. Take the little kids down the hallway. Um, spread the eggs out for them down there. Let me, read a, let me read a passage, a benediction as we go. From Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Happy Easter. 